This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Views and opinions of any of the guests of After Hours AM are not necessarily the views and opinions of After Hours AM, its hosts, its staff, or any of its affiliates. Broadcasting live from the After Hours AM studio, Joel Sturgis. And welcome to this edition of After Hours AM. I'm your host, Joel Sturgis, and tonight I have a great guest on tap. You all know her. You all love her. Dr. Clarissa Cole is sitting in with me tonight. Dr. Cole, how the hell are you? I am good. I'm good. Glad to be back. How are you doing? It's been forever. Do you realize the last time we did a show together was in May? Are you serious? I am serious. Oh, my gosh. It's, well, been, it's been a long time. <laughs> and they've been going crazy since. They love you. They don't care well, about me but because I never oh. left. But they love you. <laughs> I miss I miss doing it. I miss doing the, the write-ups, too. It, like, it keeps me sharper in my regular job. So I, yeah. I definitely miss it. Yeah. And, and uh, you are a very, very busy person. And we have a whole lot of new people that don't know who you are. A new radio network, so I'd like you to start at the top. Why don't you tell one about yourself? Oh, gosh. Um, okay. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Clarissa Cole. I am a forensic psychologist. Like AA meeting there for a minute. I'm here. I, my name is Dr. Cole. And, um, I know. I have a problem with true crime. And um, I no, I, I, <laughs> I'm a forensic psychologist. I started my career in California at the state hospital, in the state hospital system. And I moved over to San Quentin after that. I uh, started on uh, death row. And then I progressed to the Board of Parole, and I have a textbook coming out this next year with a, a former FBI uh, profiler, and it's going to be called Profiling Violent Crime, along with whole all sorts of other stuff, but that's the basic. Now, this textbook is for the college setting, right? It is. It's for uh, criminology students. So it's, it's interesting because it's not for psychology students. It's for criminologists and future FBI agents, and it is going to be at Quantico also when it comes out. No, that's a hell of an accolade. That's crazy. I, can, I that, still that's haven't a big metabolized deal. that. Yeah, Clarissa, that's <laughs> a real a little... big deal. Ooh, yeah, I'm excited. So I, I was going to say you should be, and I know that you've been really busy during the day job, and one thing you forgot that really important to me is you're the first woman psychologist at San Quentin. I was the first woman under the age of like 50 and the for one of the first on death row. Yes, that is true. Now there are tons and there's tons of female forensic psychologists. And I hope there are always more. Um, but it was a, a very strange thing at the time. This is, God, 15 years ago, more now. And uh, I, I encourage anybody that's interested to to get into it. And don't be afraid, even if you're the first doing something, because it's, it's worth it. What was that like breaking in, being a young woman and 
breaking into that male-dominated field at that time. I, I actually, I got honest to be a perfect, and you know what, I think most of them would be okay with me saying this at this point. I, I actually got harassed a lot more from the uh, officers that worked there than I ever did from the inmates. Um, it was interesting that way. You know, they were not used to having females on the unit. They were not used to having, and they certainly weren't used to having females that weren't sort of in an officer capacity. So having somebody that was considered a quote unquote free staff that met with inmates without an officer in the room and without the inmate being in cuffs was a a hard thing for them to get used to. A lot of times they didn't want me to do it because they were feeling protective or the opposite. They'd leave me alone with an inmate and then not stand outside the door like they were supposed to. It was it was like hazing a little, you know, like. Oh, wow. So, so they would lock you in with the, with the inmate and walk away. And I'm going to assume these inmates, are, are they cuffed or do they or are they no. as free as you are? They're, they're in general, unless um, on death row, they did have to sit in what is called a therapeutic module, which is basically a small cage. But other than death row, any other prison that I go to, any prison I'm in, they are not cuffed. They are not in a cage. They are in no way restrained. And there is no officer in the room with me. And that, that's common because it's confidential. They, the, an officer can't be in the room with you. Um, you just get used to it. But, you know, sometimes these are guys that literally assaulted someone yesterday. You know, they're sitting there and and you're and you're going, well, you know, they assaulted uh, a guy or they assaulted an officer. I'm probably fine. You know, you, you justify. Wow. <laughs> they got out of their system before they came in. They're good to go. They won't beat right. me up. Yeah, they're, they're out they, of energy. They're out of energy. Wow. I, it just amazes. I've known you for many years. And every time I hear you talk about that, I, I, I just shake my head because, to be honest with you, I could not do that. You don't uh, think so, though? You have no, a good personality, I, I, though, you know what? I think they would like you. You know what? But my luck, I'd run into a cannibal that likes his meat marbled really well. And I'm kind of, you know, like, mm, you're looking yummy. Next thing you know, he's eating me. You know, oh, you, yeah, and, yeah. You never, and you never know either. Like, sometimes you think that there's a guy. You know, I've, I've had many occasions where the guy seems just really, you know, older, kind of decrepit, like walks with a, a walker, let's say, you know, comes yeah. in there look, looking all, you know, and then I'll see him out on the yard like 45 minutes later and he's flying at somebody with a weapon, oh like faster Lord. than Batman, you know, and you're like, what? I mean, y you never know what's going to, what's going to come. And there, there have definitely been some really scary occasions that I've had, but you know, knock on wood for the most part, I do yeah. love my job and I feel really lucky. Yeah. Do you to, do you have to, in some regards, befriend these people? Oh yeah, definitely. And, and I definitely. Yeah. What's that like, knowing what they are and what they've done? I mean, they're obviously human beings, but more importantly, what they've done. How do you befriend somebody that has done horrific things? And and obviously, we know why you're doing it to further the study, you know, to help them, help <laughs> themselves, and and that's really a good thing, but. I don't know if I could, if I could sit there and go, you know what, Bob, you're not a bad guy. I know. I don't care what they say about you. And you know, your wife probably wasn't the nicest, nicest lady in the world. Okay, I got you. How do you sympathize with them? How do you make them trust you? It's in the beginning. It depends on, honestly, kind of what type of crime they've done. I, I think that for the most part, rapists are the, the most difficult, not because of what they've done, just because they have such a block against most women that it's more difficult for me to make inroads. Um, but for people that have murdered and, and right now I, I deal only with murders and, and, and sometimes multiple murders, it's I 
it's kind of like what you were saying. Like you have to make those inroads by sometimes saying things that you you yourself do not believe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that, you know, like, I'm sure she wasn't always a nice person, stuff like that. You know, and of course, I never want to say anything bad about a victim. It was never the victim's yeah. fault. But it's it's trying to get that sort of trust. And I, I feel grateful for it because often these men have killed women, a lot of them. And being a woman, I feel like I have a chance to repair some of that. And maybe some they of just need a distrust. hug from their mother. Oh, are you kidding me? That would solve like everything. I'm not even I know it sounds totally cliche and Freudian, but in a lot of ways, it's true. These guys, their mothers were either not present. Yeah. They had mothers that were prostitutes, mothers that beat them, mothers that did drugs. No, it's not always the mother's fault. But does it add to the, the trauma and the strain? Of course it does. Wow. And and having a, a woman in their life that one, I'm always there. Yeah. I'm always compassionate. I'm always patient. And I will if they do the right thing. I will always have their back and they know that that does go a long way to sort of repairing some of the stuff that was broken when they were little. And and that part I really like when I make progress with somebody that people are like, oh, my God, he's irredeemable. No, no, nobody is. Yeah. Well, no one is. But some, I got to say, are darn near irredeemable. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, I, Agreed. I, I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, and tonight we're going to be covering a lot of ground. We've got two hours of talk with Dr. Cole, and, and we're also going to be talking about, of course, serial killers and, and general true crime. But one thing I want to get your take on, I'm springing this on you. This I did not even talk to you about this before the show. No. So this is, and you can decline to answer if you'd like to. Okay. What do you think about the Jeffrey Epstein case? Uh, like what in general do I think? I mean, a... a- do you think he was knocked off? I've never been in a prison, right? I've never seen what security's like in a prison, but it seems oddly strange to me that somebody or they would allow him to kill a high-profile guy like that, right? Like on the national news, they would allow to kill himself that easily? I mean, uh, am I no, the only I, one that's going, no, no, oh, no. wait a minute here? <laughs> And no, he was he was, he was murdered. No, he was murdered, and and it was officers that did it, and the officers were paid to do it. That is my opinion, and I dare you to prove me wrong. Because first of all, other inmates aren't going to have the same access to Epstein, mm-hmm. and they're not going to have the same impetus. Plus, inmates they'll I mean not all inmates, but most <laughs> inmates will snitch. So if they're paid to knock off Epstein. You can't yeah. trust them to keep their mouth shut. There's no way. Who can you trust to keep their mouth shut? Who doesn't get paid a lot and has to wait forever in a dangerous job for retirement? Yeah. Officers. Yeah, a couple million bucks. Right. You know, and knock they off put Epstein. It in, you yeah, know? put it in an offshore account that, that's in somebody else's name. Nobody's going to see it. You can't retire right away. But hey, when you retire in two years, instead of your piddly pension, you have a couple mil. Yeah. Here you go. That's awfully attractive. And, and Very and that really would not be the first time that's happened. That that oh, has God, happened no. before. Um, nothing recently, but if you go back, you read some notes. Some some infamous people were killed by prison guards because yeah. of that exact thing. Hey, we got the money. You do this for us. You can have a life of leisure. Just do this one thing for us. No, from from the very beginning when they locked him up, I said they should have hired contractors. And they should have held them someplace else because there's a protection factor there. Even if the contractors also don't get paid a lot and they're they're just garden variety type officers. When you work at a prison for a long time, the green line extends a lot further when they know you, when there's a relationship and you know somebody. Yeah. You're not going to stick your neck out necessarily in the same way if it's a contractor and you don't know the guy. 
So put somebody in there to watch Epstein that you don't know, that doesn't have oh. the same brotherhood bonds that will protect him later. And it's insane how he kept getting away with it, Epstein. Oh, Epstein? I, I mean, I don't yeah, think bro. anybody wanted to, to say anything because they knew how much money he had. Yeah. And maybe more importantly, the names he had. Oh, God. No kidding. You no know, kidding. Because um, there were some powerful people that were involved in this. Like Prince Andrew? That yeah. Did, yeah, that did not want that going to court. No, and there's, I mean, there's got to be tons more. That's that's what I mean. Like millions of dollars is probably the tip of the iceberg. They yeah. probably we can give you your own island. I mean, millions is nothing compared to the people that did not want their names out there. Yeah, and, and evidently they had their way. They they had him dealt with, whatever. I know whatever the way. If I could talk tonight, gosh darn, it's been a long time for the old after hours AM. But we are back. Uh, but what I was going to say is they got their way. He is dealt with, and it doesn't seem like anybody nobody's looking deeply into this at all no i because too many people with money sort of paid for this to to happen and they're probably bribing other people like potentially me's wardens whoever they yeah. need to have on the payroll payroll but here's where like again i'm interminably hopeful epstein was not stupid i didn't like the guy but he wasn't stupid, which means that he kept insurance somewhere with someone. So all these people that think they just got away scot-free because Epstein is dead, trust me, it's coming. It yeah. is. Yeah. The train may be a long way off, but Epstein, I promise you, people like him always have insurance. Well, yeah, you don't have that kind of evidence no, and not have an insurance policy that should you die prematurely, things don't get found out. Exactly. Yeah, there's always there's always a way it comes out, and it will eventually. It absolutely will. Yeah, you know that song, uh, uh, Four Leaf, or what is it, No Leaf Clover by Metallica? Yes. That song applies here. Yes, abs absolutely, absolutely. Now, I know that you've been working on that textbook a lot, and we've been kind of talking all week, uh, a couple weeks, a couple days anyway, about you come on the show, and, and you sent me an interesting link. You sent me the link that I've never read before, but here we are, the 14 characteristics of a serial killer. Yes, this is a, a very, very long-held... Oh, God, this one... I mean, it depends on what hour you want to talk about it in. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about it up front or not. Well, I was but... going to say, let's save that. I want to bring that up really quickly, because we'll yeah. talk about that in the second hour. I'd like to get dig dig really deep into what makes these individuals tick. And it well, seems... it's all over, though. It's all over the Internet. Like if you go to Google and you and just it, right now, anybody that wants to, you can go to Google and type in 14 traits of a serial killer and you will get probably hundreds yeah. of results that talk about these 14 traits as though they are fact and because they were thought up right when profiling uh, the FBI profiler started uh, the FBI profiling unit. They came up with these 14 traits that they thought marked a serial killer that most serial killers had and these 14 traits this this list has been circulating since what the 60s 70s yeah but i guess what i wanted to discuss with you is is there any truth to those y yeah that's what i want to know too because when i was reading it and we did the criminal code after i was in the criminal code code for a couple years Mm -hmm. And and some of these, and I'm not going to give away too many spoilers, but they're kind of debunked some of these as we went and we discussed Agreed. it. So that will be the, in the top of next hour. But in the meantime, I know there's a lot of headlines out there. What would you, where would you like to go, doctor? 
I wanted to go to this case that actually uh, I'll admit that uh, Joel, you sent me a link on. I know. That I'm, the, I'm I, the true crime god. What can I say? You are no. You you saw this weird. Like, uh, why don't you introduce the story? Because this is this is more like I didn't even know about it till today. Mom of missing Idaho kids allegedly believes she is God in- reincarnated. That's very problematic. <laughs> Let's, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's such a short sentence, but darn, that's, yeah. there's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Loria Vallos. Her, her late husband painted a troublesome picture of a divorce uh, in the divorce papers filed in February, months before her uh, brother shot and killed him. His own brother shot and killed this dude. With like, and he said it was what, in self-defense? Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, he was coming on? at me, so I decided to plug him. Yeah. And so, but the here it is, a story. Now, this comes to us from the Daily News. Uh, Valos had become, uh, well, what had happened is... His wife thought she was God. That's the thing. And there's another guy involved, and there's lots of, lots of, and you read the article. I did. And, and it's, it's really, really strange, though. It takes so many twists and turns, this little article. And, and what the heck's going on, doctor? Are you there, Dr. Cole? So anyhow, meantime, until we get Dr. Cole back, I, I will go ahead and discuss this. This this happened over there in uh, Idaho <coughs> where there was allegedly these, uh, well, the lady thought that she was God. And it was the strangest thing in the world because she wanted to save 144,000 people. And so what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to run a really, really quick break. We're going to be right back. Get this audio because we really need to have Dr. Cole weigh in on this. This is just one of those stories. Be right back right after this. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location? My backyard. Oh, your backyard. Try telling a bear that. I did, and this bear talked back. Talking bear, that's rich. No, wait, it was Smokey Bear. Smokey? Why didn't you say so? I did say so. Continue. I was burning yard waste. No, boy. He told me to burn legally and responsibly, and to remember that if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. And as always, he's right. You know, 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. That means 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. Yeah, I know that now. Thanks to me. Actually, thanks to Smokey. As usual, the talking bear gets all the credit. Get your Smokey on. Always burn responsibly and contact your local fire department for open burning regulations. Because 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. Brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Northern Tool and Equipment. I got a uh, rather serious problem over here. All right, what are we looking at? Cranky mother-in-law asleep on the couch 
in the man cave. Dear God. It gets worse. That's impossible. She's passed out on the remote. I stand corrected. What do I do? Okay, I want you to grab a torrent big red hydraulic bottle jack. Uh, okay. Now you wedge that bad boy in under your mother-in-law and crank her up skyward. It's working. And got the remote. Great. Now grab that torrent big red two-ton folding shop crane and put that woman on wheels. And away we go. There's no problem. A little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Welcome back to After Hours AM. I'm your host, Joel Sturgis, and tonight we have Dr. Clarissa Cole as our guest. Unfortunately, such is the beast of radio, our Skype decided it was going to drop out on us. So Dr. Cole is back, and we're just touching on this story that's coming to us out of Idaho that uh, this, this lady, mom of missing Idaho kids, allegedly believes she is God reincarnated. So what's going on with all this, Dr. Cole? Well, you know, this is the part that's strange for me and and kind of why this story is so interesting uh, to me in general is that when you look at stories that have a criminal element and someone goes missing or 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 whatnot, and you have all these like she believes she's God. And so everybody goes, oh, yeah, she's crazy. But then look at religion as a whole and what people believe. Now, and I'm not trying to offend people. I, I realize people may get offended. Please do not. That's not my intention. Um, but when you look at religion, we all believe that there is a power greater than us Sure, that we cannot see, we cannot hear, um, we can speak to, but generally a lot of people speak to this God through a priest or or some other entity. And there's a a holy in Christianity, there's a, a Holy spirit that anoints people. And there's all this crazy stuff that happens in the Bible. And people in general believe that to be actually the truth, not like it's a, a parable for something else like everything is they believe that these events actually occurred and when you look at how from the outside looking in how mm-hmm. pa- paranormal and weird that sounds yes does it not sound a bit delusional or strange for somebody to say i am going to go to my room right now and take five minutes and pray to an imaginary uh thing that's bigger than you and me and i am hoping that this thing will sort out events for us well but, since you put it that way yeah well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a, such, but that's what I'm trying to say is that religion is such an accepted thing throughout the world that when you see somebody that actually does have delusions, hallucinations, and does have a thought disorder, what people in my profession would call a thought disorder, it is hard to sort out what is the thought disorder and what is a religious belief. Mm. Because I don't want to pathologize a yeah. religious belief. That's not right. No, I hear you. I, I, I hear you. Where does, where's the borderline between the two is what you're saying. Yeah. Where does one start and, and the other begin? Like when you look at how Mormonism started, right? Yeah. Some, a guy kind of walks out into the, you know, the woods and meets some alien type creature thing. He gets whole new books of the Bible that never existed before. Um, there, it, that, I mean, Think about this, okay? Like, I think most people would look at this and go, what the? 
That's sure. insane. And I would think that people in his time would have deemed him to be insane. And I think many people did think he was insane, which is partly why, hey, I'm going to go to Utah where people don't know me um, because everybody <laughs> else thinks I'm crazy. And, and his beliefs caught on with a small yeah. set of people. And then that gathered steam and that gathered steam. And all of a sudden, look. We have a religion. Now, does that mean what he experienced wasn't real? Uh, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it must have sounded pretty weird. Well, even even when Jesus was walking to earth, people looked exactly at him right. like, what's wrong with you and why are you doing this? Exactly right. I, that, and that's my point. So so when you have someone like this woman or any any of the cult leaders that we've talked about, you know, Jim Jones, sure. uh, Apple, Apple White with, the, you know, like you, you Marshall Applewhite, you talk about these people and there's so many people that I'm sure met Marshall Applewhite and the, the Heaven's Gate cult or met Jim Jones, and, yeah. you know, who went to French Guyana and had the, the Jonesville massacre. And they met them and went, those guys are so crazy. Oh my God, stop talking to him. You know, because people understood that there was probably a mental mental illness at, at the base of this, but look at how many people didn't see that. That is true. Look how many followers they exactly. ended up getting that, that were, you know, any religion, though. I mean, I don't care what religion it is. It all begins with some controversy. Yes, it does. I mean, and a lot of it. I mean, it, and back, you talk about Christ and back in Jesus' time, um, he was also kind of going against the politics of the day, which made him even an even bigger target, you know, actually a, a criminal in their eyes. So, you know, you look at this woman, all right, all coming back to this crime, this this woman, this missing mother in Idaho. And she said that she is sealed to the ancient Book of Mormon, the prophet, they have a prophet in Mormonism called Moroni. Okay. And that she's lived numerous lives on numerous planets because that's another thing most people don't realize about Mormonism. They believe in other planets that they've been on other planets before, that there is sort of an alien component to uh, Mormonism, and she believes that is is is, and, and I might be reaching here and slap my hand if I am. Is Mormon Mormonism and Scientology? They're starting to sound a lot like each other. Sort of, except for that, in Scientology, they don't really believe in a higher power other than themselves. They gotcha. they it's think very ego they driven. Are. Yes, they are the gods. And you know what's very interesting to me about Scientology is that they hate psychologists so much. They don't believe in the field of psychology or mental illness. That's pretty, you know, well yeah. known about Scientology. Yeah. And what's so hilarious about that is I'm like, dude, you took everything, okay? Like everything you believe in in Scientology was a psychological concept at some point. And it's just like, we hate psychologists. I'm like, why are you worried we're going to tell you that you're stealing everything? Copyright. <laughs> Um, it's so <laughs> well. That is right. So that, that is true. They're big on the self-help stuff. Oh God, uh, they're all about self-help and like if you just believe in yourself, you know, and you do these behaviors as though you are your own God, you will start to feel that way. And I'm like, that's cognitive behavioral therapy, okay? That's what that is. Stop. Stop, Stop stealing your work. Religion. Stop yeah. stealing our stuff. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I, I get it. Now this this lady here obviously has delusions. Would that go yes. under the narcissistic part, or is that what is that? What would you classify a individual that believes allegedly? I'm going to assume with all of her heart that she is the second coming. It's interesting. It's not narcissistic personality disorder, but it's it's a it's a classic. It's a goodie. 
it's it's actually um, delusions of grandeur. You've heard that phrase? I have. I've had them a time or two. <laughs> Do tell. Um, yeah, it's, that's what that is. It's it's a delusion. So it's actually a psychotic disorder. Delusions are part of a psychotic disorder. So it's not a personality thing, but delusions of grandeur. She believes she is not. She is no longer uh, just flesh and blood. Okay. Okay. So th- this lady in in Idaho now. She went way off the rails, though. I mean, there's kids involved that are missing. There, there's a lot. I mean, it's going beyond just running around saying, I am the second coming of God. Worship me. She actually acted on some of this stuff. Yeah, that's the really disturbing s- stuff is that she left her husband, got together with a different guy who was also married, by the way. This Chad Daybell. Her, her name is Lori Vallow. Um, and she got together with someone named Chad Daybell, and they got married just weeks after Daybell's wife also died in some pretty questionable circumstances. Um, and Vallow had two kids already, uh, Joshua, known by JJ, is seven yeah. years old, and Ty Lee, um, 17 years old. And they have not, since since they got married, they have not been seen. Nobody knows where they are, and she will not help authorities in locating them. Now, I'm going to assume that these two are cooling their heels in prison then right now. In jail, they have mm-hmm. to be. No. Well, I mean, unless that's the, see, that's the crux of the problem. Unless you can prove beyond any sort of reasonable doubt that some, you know, bad thing happened to the kids. Uh, what do you lock them up for? Well, they're missing. I mean, isn't that something? They are missing, but they, they're they're not saying that they did anything to them. So, again, they can, they right now, authorities are kind of at a standstill. They don't know what to charge them with, although they are looking now, thank God, into Daybell's wife's death, which they had not done before. Aren't they exhuming her? Yes, see? they said yes. They said it was natural causes, but given everything that's happened after, sure isn't looking that way. Well, I don't blame them. I'd dig her up, too, to see what's going on. Yeah, definitely. But I, I feel so awful for those children because they're at the mercy of what their mother is believing. Do you think knowing individuals like you do with different disorders, do you believe these children are alive or do you think they disposed of them? It's, it is very, very hard to tell right now. I I think that if the children were kind of proactive in wanting their mom to stop with some of these beliefs that maybe some harm could have come to them. But I think just as much of a possibility is that maybe she is hiding them out somewhere or, sent them to be with people that have the same beliefs that that she has, um, kind of like a reprogramming. Gotcha, That's like a brainwashing common. that yes. you will believe the way we believe or else kind of thing going on. Yes, and that's very common for people that sort of fall into this cult-like behavior is to not not get rid of their children, not to kill their children, but to to send them someplace for a Being, overhaul, I guess. Y- you wouldn't think she'd kill them, though, looking back on it, because she'd mm-hmm. be killing herself in some ways or himself you know because that would be the heir apparent to their own belief they wouldn't want to kill off their own you know spawn as it were because they're the next generation that's true and i think that a lot of people that are in that sort of cult uh, belief a lot of them that have children want exactly that they want the next generation to carry on whatever this torch is so you're right i think that that killing the, the children would be you know kind of antithetical to what she wants to accomplish, but we don't really know what she wants to accomplish at this point. So yeah, if, yeah. if it's world annihilation, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, world annihilation, domination, we already got someone that likes to do that. So that, that, oh, that yeah. box already checked. <laughs> check. Well, late November police, they did a welfare check on these children. 
Mm-hmm. And when relatives drew, drew, uh, grew, drew, grew concerned that they have not heard from these children in quite some time, and that's what came to light. Everything came to light after that. Well, and I'm glad for that because I doubt she's, you know, doing nothing. You know, like she's probably planning something if she has these beliefs. Exactly. Exactly. That That's insanity, Doctor. That That is insanity. And I sure hope they find these kids. And because, my gosh, the one of them was just a little little fella standing at four feet tall and weigh, weighing 50 pounds. Now, the older of the two is the sister. She was 17. I could see her being, you know, knowledgeable enough to start questioning. And maybe that's what got her in trouble, going, oh, wait a minute. I'm a little older than my brother. There's something strange going on here. I agree. And I, and I definitely worry about their welfare quite a bit because what 17-year-old do you know that isn't on their phone constantly mm-hmm. or some sort of device trying to get a hold of somebody. And and that is, I think, the part that worries me the most is that 17-year-olds are rarely quiet. So for yeah, the 17-year... No, for the 17-year-old to have gone radio silent for this long is a bad sign. Um, but it just might mean that she is cut off from communication. But, I mean, there's always the possibility of something really terrible like child sacrifice i mean we don't know what she believes and somebody that has delusional beliefs is not likely to get much better even with medication it's a it's a very interesting disorder in that way Mm -hmm. um and if she has dangerous beliefs then she is dangerous yeah yeah i didn't even think about that sacrifice very well could be the case sacrifice because in the bible in the old testament that was commonplace oh and i i mean you know, we still and people that are like, oh, my God, I can't believe anyone ever believe that. And I'm like, well, um, what is communion? Yeah. What is communion? We, yeah. we think of it as the symbolic drinking of blood and eating of flesh. We're not that far away. OK, from a lot well, of these beliefs that people think are archaic. I, I want to think we've come a long way, but maybe I, I think you're right. I think we really are not that far away from. From that, or not as far as we think we are away right. from that. That's what I, I guess I'm trying to say is that we're not as far away as we think. We, we think we're so evolved, but when you look at where things began and, and what they still symbolically stand for, we're not that separated. So when someone becomes delusional, a lot of these beliefs kind of get muddled. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I agree with you. Reading the story more and more, it's, it's really a sad, uh, set of circumstances. I hope the kids do come back safe. And let me tell you that these two do not look like the picture of sanity, the parents. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, man. It, we used to have something in the DSM that does not exist anymore. It's a disorder that's been discontinued. But if there ever was a time that it applied, uh, this uh, folia do, this, this, I always say it wrong, um, this belief that like two people fall under a common spell. Uh, well, a common well, sure. Haven't you ever heard the, the saying birds of a feather flock together? Exactly. And it seems like her finding this guy, it seems like that is very likely the case. Crazy people seem to glom together. Oh, yeah. They do. Definitely. You you meet a crazy person, you're going to meet their crazy friends. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you are. Unless they're very solitary. Yeah, they they want to have, especially when it's a, a religious thing. I don't know why that is but they want someone else to believe in it too it, it helps solidify that for them that it's real yeah that, exactly exactly well dr cole like i said hopefully the children are found safe and we get a resolution 
I will give any updates that do happen on this story, and, and hopefully there are happy updates that we give, but don't hold your breath. I wouldn't want anyone yeah. to die. So where would you, anything else you'd like to touch on before the, we're done with this hour and we move on to the main event? Yeah, I really kind of wanted to get to this John Grisham story that broke recently because it really, really upsets me just at a personal level and a professional one. Is that the child um, porn? It is. Okay. It is. Um, so apparently, uh, I mean, do I need to describe who John Grisham is? Do well, people not he's, know? He's, he's an author. I mean, uh, really, really important author, some would say. He's, he's written tons of movies, books that turned into movies. John he, he yeah and he he writes about like it, it, they, they call him a crime writer but i think he's really more of a law writer he usually writes yeah. from the perspective of lawyers yeah and, which and, yeah you know, go ahead i was gonna say because this recent statement that that is worrisome extremely so apparently and this is you know and this is not for by the way this is not from some when i first saw this story break i actually kind of thought it was like a, a tabloid yeah you know, like, like a fake one a fake headline yeah. Like, yeah. this is not clickbait. true. Yeah. yeah, this is clickbait. But no, this was an interview with The Telegraph, which is a, a paper in the UK. All right. And it's uh, he also he placed sixth in Forbes uh, top ranking author earners this last year. So he's, you know, no, no small thing. Right. He he was giving an interview to The Telegraph's Peter Foster. And in, in order to promote his latest novel, uh, I'm not going to say the title of it because I don't want people to buy it at this point. Anyway, um, and I'll say that outright. I don't care. You can sue me. Um, so he, he said in this interview that essentially guys who are locked up for um, child porn. Right. Mm -hmm. This is his quote. They got online one night, started surfing around, probably had too much to drink or whatever, and pushed the wrong buttons, went too far, got into child porn, and our prisons are just full of them. Okay, I got a question because I've never looked it up. How right. easy is obtain to obtain child porn? How easy is it to obtain? Yeah. It's very easy, very easy okay. to obtain child porn. On the yes. internet, because yes. I, would, I would assume, and I could be wrong, but that's more of a dark web thing than it would be a normal every man's internet. I would love it if it was more of a dark web thing, but my guess is that you could probably Google it and get it. I don't know, but it's not oh, hard to get. Sad. I do know that. Okay, that's It's sad. incredibly sad, but it's, it's not a dark web thing. It's a, it's a regular internet. I mean, do people go to the dark web? Yeah, but that's for really dark child porn, as in I want to buy that girl and then kill her. Gotcha. That type of dark, Go gotcha. that type of porn. Okay, so... so Reg regular porn. John but, Grisham um, is saying that we're, we should be more sympathetic to the plight he's, to these people? Well, no, he's saying that, like, he's basically equating guys who who collect child porn or look at child porn as some guy who. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a, a personal question. You've kind of already answered it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hypothesize. So have you ever gotten really uh -huh. drunk, started surfing around the internet, and just like fallen into a pit of child porn? No, no. I've gotten, I mean, I wouldn't. I've had a couple right? too much to drink it. I've gone on Amazon and ordered too much stuff and gone, oh, why did oh I order gosh. that? I know. I've I've actually had lip gloss arrive one time, and I'm like, <laughs> why did this come to my house? And then I'm like, did I order that when I was drunk? Yeah, it's bad. Anyway, um, that's totally different. So, so basically, that's what Grisham was equating it to. Uh, basically, a guy who's drunk who, you know, clicks on a few. Yeah. few, yeah, accidentally clicks on a few bad websites, and he actually said that one of his law school friends did exactly that. Oh, you and they him. locked him up. You know it was that, him too. He's no, 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 there, no, no. I got a reference for this. So basically, no. He said he knew somebody that he went to law school with, and he 
he, you know, that got locked up for this exact sort of thing. So I, I wanted to come on the show and talk about it for, for two reasons. One, John Grisham, you're repugnant to me. I will never read anything else you write ever again. It's people like you that have these lackadaisical attitudes about child porn that make the industry what it is is mm-hmm. the fact that you are not appalled and reviled by it and the fact that you're a lawyer and not fighting it with every bone in your body tells me everything i need to know about you but second sorry um the second is that he is thinking that our prisons are are clogged up with guys like this and i kind of wanted to talk to the audience briefly sure. about how long it takes to get locked up you know like the, the typical you know what i mean yeah like yeah. so just to kind of put it in perspective if like let's let's say for argument's sake that somebody did get drunk one night, right? Okay. They're surfing around the internet. They're they're just looking, and they do come across something that is child porn related. And there are so they they clicked on it, and maybe they clicked on a couple different things and went, "Oh my god, this is horrible," and left. Now, is that the type of guy who is going to get locked up in prison and end up sitting down with someone like me? I would assume First, not, to be honest. Yeah, no, I can tell you categorically. No, never, ever. Now, somebody that stumbles across child porn or has one or two images or, you know, they accidentally clicked on something, are they going to get locked up for it? No. Are they going to get questioned about it? Seriously doubtful. Because that is not how this type of thing is patrolled. It just isn't. The type of guys that get locked up in prison for child porn are the type of guys that have caches of thousands and thousands of images and videos and they trade them with others or they create the porn themselves those are the guys that end up in prison i was gonna say because you you hear about the police going in on a child porn raid and they'll be walking out with hundreds of hard drives yes exactly they're walking out with literally full hard drives of child images that's that's the typical guy who ends up in prison for child porn not a guy who does stumble across something. And do I think that that scenario has happened? I'm sure it probably has. Has that person ever been busted? No, because no. it's not that type of situation. And and uh, so I decided to do a little bit more digging as I'm loath to do. You know me. I do know and I, you. And yeah. That's, I could, that's a good thing. You're the sleuth. I know. I couldn't help myself. I was like, he's talking about this guy in law school. And I thought the same thing you did at first. I was like, whatever. This was John yeah, Grisham. Like, himself, like I'm asking right? for a friend. Yeah, that whole yeah. thing. I'm asking for a friend, yeah. And I'm thinking that's what it is. Oh no, I found his law school buddy. And so his law school buddy got caught trading images of girls as young as twelve engaged in full intercourse oh. with an undercover cop. Oh my god. So he was the target of a sting. That's how much they suspected that this guy dealt in child porn. He was actually the, the target of a sting. So the cops yeah. knew yeah. that he was into child That's how much child porn he had dealt to that yeah, point. Yeah, it wasn't he was just a, 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 a stray click one night on Google going, no. oh, what's this? Not yeah. at all. And so they, they, you know, the undercover cop sort of solicited this stuff. He sent 13 images to this undercover cop. By the way, if you've got 13 images to randomly choose from, those aren't the only ones you have? No, you got that's, lots more. Right. That's just so your greatest they, hits catalog. That, that is your greatest hits catalog. That's that's what you're doing. So he was sentenced to 18 months in prison and disbarred. And after he was disbarred and sent to prison, Grisham wrote a letter of recommendation and started a petition to get him reinstated as a Mississippi lawyer. My that's Lord. That's how much ethical fortitude 
the heroic lawyer John Grisham has. That's how much ethic, ethical and moral fiber this man has. So wow. I am disgusted with myself well, for ever reading any book he's ever written. Some of the quotes he, as I read this, he says, I have no real sympathy. I have no sympathy for real pedophiles, he said, speaking the telegraph yeah. from his office wherever in Virginia. No, he, he said he had no, yeah, no, I love that quote, though, because that was supposed to be a reparative quote that I think yeah. his uh, PR team wrote. Yep. Like he said, I have, and, but, but this is the key that they messed up. I almost said a bad word, but they messed up. They, they said, he said, I have no sympathy for real pedophiles. You know what? Your friend is yes. a real pedophile. Real children were harmed yes. in the making of that porn. They were harmed because people like his friend downloaded that porn. That's why that stuff is made. Yeah, so that's why it keeps the industry going. You're right, absolutely right. It keeps the industry going. So apparently John Grisham doesn't know a victim when he sees it and he doesn't know a perp when he sees it. So I guess I should be glad he's writing books and not actually practicing law. Yeah, because if he doesn't know the difference, <laughs> then yeah, you're right. He should be writing books and not fiction. Yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now I used to be a fan of John Grisham. Me too. And I thought he had some great books out there, but learning oh, this, yeah. I, I, oh. I no, oh. I used to, I used to, I had a couple of John Grisham books I really liked. There's a couple of movies I really liked, but after this, like I said, the, his sort of implicit attitudes about it mm -hmm. tell me that he is very oh, sympathetic sounds, to pedophiles. Almost sounds very cavalier to him. Um, it's a little disturbing to me because he's so sympathetic to pedophiles that yeah. I am wondering. Yeah, not kidding. I am too. I, I'm thinking. Well, what are you? What are why, you? Yeah, covering up, John. I mean, why are you? Right. Why do you need to come and do a statement? Because I mean, if you read it, the yeah. statement wasn't like it was. It's weird because an article was even for this reason. No, it, was it wasn't. He was a spontaneous. Yeah, it's a spontaneous sort of like he's so upset about his friend or whoever getting locked up, that this is a spontaneous statement that he made. And I'm like, he's so supportive of his friend that he wrote to get him reinstated as a lawyer. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I don't know about Grisham, but I've known a lot of guys who are pedophiles and their wives leave them. Their yeah. children never speak to them again. They have no chance at employment. They live very limited lives. And yet you're going out of your way to write recommendations. You know who does stuff like that, Grisham? People that think, just like the pedophile. Yeah. And well, haven't been caught. I, I was going to say, why would he put his own reputation on the line for this individual? I don't know, but if I was an FBI agent, I bet you I know whose computer uh, cache I'd be looking I through. I would imagine they're already all over that one with that guy. Kind of I hope so. It's they, probable cause. Yeah. Yeah. They, sh they should be looking into that just to double check. I mean, the man may have nothing to hide and again, innocent until proven guilty, but these kind of statements are pretty damning. And at the very least, it does not help his reputation at all. No, and and he said like what the further statements were that um, my comments made two days ago during an interview with the British newspaper The Telegraph were in no way intended to show sympathy for these convicted those convicted of sex crimes, especially the sexual molestation of children. Again, let's look at that phrase for what it. You know what? I go back to this. This wasn't his PR firm. This was him. He wrote these statements. I'm sure of it because he said they were no way intended to show sympathy for those convicted of sex crimes meaning and he said especially the sexual molestation of children so you do have sympathy still mm -hmm. for guys that download child porn you just mm -hmm. don't have sympathy for those that actually 
touch the kids. Okay, I get it. Yeah. He's still mincing his words. He's a wordsmith. He knows how to do it. But he's I also know how to unpack is what he's yeah. doing. He's splitting hair so that he can still show sympathy for his friend while trying to yeah. appease the public. And guess what, John? Others of us know English, too. So yeah. I can see what he's trying to say. And it's it's gross. I hope he suffers some repercussions monetarily. I think that's the only place it hurts him. I, I would assume um, he would be. I, you just can't put I that out so. there and the general public not respond to it. Well, and the other thing that I think is incredibly disturbing, and this is something that has recently come out um, about um, pedophilia. As a, as a diagnosis, right, is that he's saying that not all guys that download child porn uh, qualify as being a pedophile. And it actually is true that not all people convicted of a sex crime can be diagnosed as a pedophile. Mm-hmm. They don't all qualify for the diagnosis for lots of complicated reasons. But what is super interesting about the diagnosis and about all the research is that men that download child pornography as a group qualify more they they what is it they they identify more strongly and qualify more robustly for a diagnosis of pedophilia than even men who have been convicted of sex crimes so guess who is a pedophile the ones that download the porn yeah yeah you're absolutely correct because there's lots of reasons that sometimes a a crime will occur and it doesn't mean that it's going to occur again there are crimes that occur out of stress out of opportunity as terrible as that sounds it doesn't mean that they're all pedophiles but guys that download child porn by and large are so what you're saying is a lot of isolated incidences that mean that will never reoccur right but the people that are actively searching for this child porn are the true pedophiles exactly show card carrying pedophiles yes show me a man's fantasies and i'll show you who he really is yeah 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 that's how i know they're pedophiles yeah well that 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 is such so. a disgusting thought, Clarissa. <laughs> so sorry. Gosh. I know. It just, I guess it's, you know, I, get, I love I get, you and we've been broadcasting a long time. And, and every time I talk to you, I have to take a shower afterwards. I, lots of people have to shower after talking to me. It's not, it's, I'm so sorry. It, it's, it's just this, it's this, I guess it's this idea sometimes that like, if you just look at images, right, that you're. Yeah, not as bad you know, as but somebody we know, that... We know, you and I both know, for doing true crime radio for as long as we have, it starts with images but ramps up. Come on. It cannot stay at just images forever. Well, some actually, for some guys, it it does. But just that, like you were saying earlier, Joel, just the downloading of those images is what keeps the industry going. So it's yeah. to me, it's just as complicit. Well, as... yeah, because you're making that act of choice to download it. You're seeking it. You're making yes. the physical choice to do so. Right. Exactly right. And, and and a lot of guys that do have that sort of addiction to the child porn, you're right. A lot of them do end up eventually acting on it. But even the ones that don't qualify for pedophilia, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> they still qualify for a diagnosis. It is interesting and disgusting all at the same time. Yeah. Quite a nut you got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A... <laughs> it just, I, I'm just so upset at John Grisham that it had to come out well, somewhere. So. I, don't, I don't blame you. And then learning this news, that, that makes me very, very angry. I, I have a young daughter myself. I, <laughs> I would freak out. I would find whoever downloaded it and kill him. I would. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, it, it would. I mean, this is just horrible. Horrible. And for him to downplay it, yeah. for him to downplay this industry that is only there. Because 
it's a victim. It's, it, I mean, it's there because it just creates more victims too. Because the problem yeah. is that these kids, they age out of it. So they got to get more victims. And so, of course, and a lot of these just, kids bring the victims in. Exactly. Because they're to. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a much bigger problem than John Grisham talking about it, but he is a symptom of the problem. He is, and that's ex- you're exactly right. He is a symptom of the overarching problem, which is a whole network of adult, mo- and I'm just going to say it, of adult, mostly men, that are driving a huge, huge, multi-billion-dollar industry that traffics in the health and safety of our children, our yes. children. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's disgusting. It needs to stop, and more people should be busted for it, no matter what level they are in society. Exactly. No matter what. And I don't think that he should, you know, John Grisham or his friend should get a pass just because they are of a different level in in society. And I I do think, too, that, again, a lawyer that can't recognize the the just unbelievably morally bereft attitude that that is really worries me. And (laughs) and he should have been giving his friend legal advice saying, stop that crap. Don't do it. Don't be disgusting because you're going to ruin your life, which he did. And then John mm-hmm. Grisham tries to get him out of the proverbial social ditch by yeah. writing him a letter of recommendation. Like you'd said, that speaks volume of, volumes about John Grisham. Right, that his, his friendship with his buddy was more important than the safety and security of even his own yes. children. Because yes. there's no guarantees in this world. And if, if, I was, if I had a friend that got busted for something terrible like this, if I wrote any letters, it would be, you know what? Try not to be too harsh on the sentence, but please make sure they get treatment because yes. I care. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a responsible letter. E- exactly. <laughs> you know? that, that is. We got about 10 minutes before the top of the hour. Anything else you'd like to touch <gasps> on? Oh, oh, yes. Okay. This is a terrible story, but I love okay. it at the same time because the the nerd in me is like, yes. So, I mean, even though it's wrong, I know it's wrong. Don't, I, uh, it's wrong. So two men pled guilty to stealing more than $8 million worth of rare books from the Pittsburgh Library. Okay, what? $8 million worth of rare... Okay, how'd they get access to these books, these guys? I mean, they just... I'm sure these are not just out for checkout, right? You oh, $8 no. million dollars worth of books. Right, like, oh, I just forgot to return that 400-year-old yeah, yeah, right? Bible. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah no, I, they, that's the thing. It's like a master plan. So It's a master uh, plan for books. Yes, it is. So one of these guys was a librarian, okay? So he's somebody that is... He is approved to handle these rare books. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you go in like reading room, you always have a sure. librarian that like gets them for you. And they give you the and white so, gloves if it needs yeah. be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so this guy, Priore, would steal the books and hand them over to Schulman, who was an international rare book oh, dealer. Oh, my Lord. It sounds like a making of a movie here. It is a movie. And I hope that Matt Damon's in it for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> You'd still have a crush on Matt Damon. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Some things just never change. So these guys are out there. They're stealing $8 million worth of rare books. Where a place like Pittsburgh would get $8 million worth of rare books, <laughs> that's anyone's guess. But they somehow got $8 million worth of rare books. Now, these two masterminds, and, and believe me, they, they do not look like masterminds to me. Look at their <laughs> pictures. They One looks confused, and one looks mad and confused. Yes, and, he does. And uh, uh, one is 63-year-old, a former activist and manager of the library's rare book room, like you said, pled guilty to theft and unlawful taking and receiving stolen goods, both first-degree felonies, while a 56-year-old John Shulman, owner of, uh, was a Culbin? 
Colban, Coliban, there we go, bookshop, pled guilty to receiving stolen property, theft, and deception, and forgery. Oh, my God, these guys were masterminds. Yeah, no, this was a, a scheme that went on for years and years and years. It dates back to 1992. And then, like, these people that are tracking them down, they found a 400-year-old Bible, which was, quote, recovered outside of Amsterdam in April. And I'm like, you can't find Amelia Earhart's plane, but you found a Bible in Amsterdam? What? Okay, what's going on? Well, you know, maybe Amelia Why? isn't worth as much as the Bible is? I, I don't know. There's got to be a reason. <laughs> um, good God. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the ring from Lord of the Rings. It, it, it's like, I, I just don't know how they're tracking down these rare books, but they can't find an airplane. I, right, right. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So these two guys, how long are they looking at? They must be looking at years. Years. Oh, they have to be looking at $8 million? I mean, that's beyond petty theft. They've got to be looking now, at years. is that a state crime or is that... That would be a state crime, right? That wouldn't be a federal I would, crime. I would say that it's a, 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 a state crime. Typically, however, the book dealer at any rate, and actually the, the, the librarian too, because he, he gave them to the book dealer, they sold them over international lines. So this uh, is going to be a federal case, I think. So they might go to Club Bed. They'll go to Club Fed. Look at them. It's a librarian and a book dealer. Where yeah. else are they going to go? And they obviously I mean, have money. Oh, yeah. They have money, I'm sure, stashed well, away. Yeah, but because like, where they are... sold $8 million worth of books. Of course they have money. Well, it, what are they going to talk to their inmates about? You uh, know? Well, you know, if they go to that poshy place that they call Club Fed, the, you know, with the politicians that were crooked and everything else. it's. Have you read the Canterbury Tales, the illustrated version? No, I have not. <laughs> no, no, that would be my answer no i have not <laughs> and then they'll be like i just want your lime jello man stop yeah, yeah right right so these guys they, they did i gotta say i more i read the more i wish i had that kind of guts that's chutzpah though isn't it i mean yeah. to think that they wouldn't i guess notice you know you're in a rare book room so it's not going to be full necessarily of books like do you do you re replace it with like Wow. A replica? Yeah. What do well, you do? I'm surprised in some ways that that he it was that easy. Right. It was that yeah. easy. I mean. They're not like tagged. You just like walk out. You, you know, they don't have any kind of system on them that will, you know, Walmart even has a buzzer that if you try to leave, <laughs> it'll like, yell. I can't get out of Walmart with a bandana. What's going on here? <laughs> right. But <laughs> yet true. you can get an $8 million book cr across the security. What? And I like the library saying, we're shocked and angered and hurt that an individual close to us would do this to us. We trusted him. It is It is a very soft statement. And I'm like, it I kind of want to work for these people, even though it's in Pittsburgh. Well, the fact that they stressed that they were hurt well, by this betrayal. I'm like, oh, yeah, you? yeah. Well, maybe they, yeah, they, they were hurt. But these, these are library type and God bless them. And, and they should have, I don't know, they... They didn't know this because this was happening since 1992. I know. I'm like, Nobody these, these in over 25, for... 26 years had one inkling that maybe they're stealing books. Well, and, and also, it's not like they stole one $8 million book. This is, I think of how many books, like, I'm not, you know, some rare books can go for quite a lot, but there are, I mean, this. This, this is a lot of books is all it's I'm saying. It's a lot of it's books. Not, yeah. That's a haul of books. It's a haul. It's not, you know, very, very rarely does a book go for, you know, I mean, it may be 50,000, 100,000, but it's still a lot of books. Hey, can you imagine how many books it has to be to equal $8 million, even if they are <sighs> rare. That's a lot of books. Yeah. No, that and I do love I do love books quite a bit. Like we have our own library. I'm actually sitting in our library right now. I'm surrounded by books, but I'm thinking, would I be You're like, hey, I just want the... You. 
No, we didn't steal any of them. But like, am I thinking if I won the lottery, like, here's this book I want. Right. No. Right. No. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Now, how would you fence such a book, though? You know, how would you get rid of it? Because it's not like you can go on a street corner and sell to Paco. I no, mean, but you know? but the rare book market is weird. It's like the art market. It's weird. It's full of weird people with weird connections where they like they, they use the dark web where they like email somebody yeah. and they go, hey, you know that illustrated version of the Canterbury Tales that was made during, I don't know, the Crusades? Get it. That's The timeline but doesn't match up. Think don't, about don't shoot this, me, but though. Go get it for me. You think know, about like, this. You, you have this item you can never show anybody. No, but they do show people. That's how they get caught. They like invite their friends into the back library cellar oh, room and they gotcha. show them the Canterbury gotcha. Tales and then the friends okay. are like, where'd you get that? Okay. Mm. Okay. And then That's of course they, they call Crime Stoppers, get their $500 and the people go to jail. <laughs> their $500, right? Like the rich people call and they're like, wait, I, I only get $500 for this tip. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Don't worry about the book. I'm sorry. I was yeah, kidding. I didn't mean Don't worry about I, it. I was kidding. I didn't mean that. It wasn't Renaissance painting or anything. I just want to joke with you a little bit. So that that is interesting. We're going to go to break. We come back. We're going to be diving deeper into the mind of a serial killer. We're going to find out. We're going to separate the fact from fiction. And and Clarissa is going to be our guide into the mind of madness. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. Green light. Hey girl, school zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Balling street? Growing street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. No, yeah, I still understand you. Let's try it again. Okay. Much better. This now, man is learning how to become a professional intercom announcer. Yes, there are hundreds of immediate openings for annoying and inarticulate people just like you. And after just six short weeks at the School of Intercom Announcing, you too will be ready to frustrate thousands. We'll teach you how to blow into a microphone. How to obscure key words in important announcements. This is the final morning call for With your PA degree from SIA, you'll be on your way to low-paying jobs in discount stores, malls, airports, even restaurants. The School of Intercom Announcing. Just dial 1-800-245-6563 today. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location. My backyard. Oh, your backyard. Try telling a bear that. I did, and this bear talked back. Talking bear, that's rich. No, wait, it was Smokey Bear. Smokey? Why didn't you say so? I did say so. Continue. I was burning yard waste. No, boy. He told me to burn legally and responsibly, and to remember that if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. And as always, he's right. You know, 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. That means 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. Yeah, I know that now. Thanks to me. Actually, thanks to Smokey. As usual, the talking bear gets all the credit. 
Get your Smokey on. Always burn responsibly and contact your local fire department for open burning regulations. Because 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. Brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, you're listening to After Hours AM. Welcome back to After Hours AM. I'm your host, Joel Sturgis. Tonight we have Dr. Clarissa Cole sitting in as guest tonight. Yeah, you might know Clarissa better from her time on the show, After Hours AM, The Criminal Code, but she is back. And I just don't want to get hopes raised, but she might be coming back more than you think. There, there might be something in the works here. We're going to yes, work something we'll out. We'll see, yes. We're going to work. No promises, though. No promises. <laughs> so don't email me yet. <sighs> Hello. This is Pam, and I'm glad that Dr. Cole's coming back. We need I more love you, Pam. <laughs> But see, so don't start that because I don't know. I don't know. Or, or, or don't do the other thing. Type out, I really hate you because you had my hopes up. <laughs> so anyhow, getting back to the show, Dr. Cole is here tonight for one night only right now, and we're going to be talking about the traits that make a serial killer because there's a list that she forwarded to me, the, the 14 characteristics of a serial killer. We're going to find out how real that is and how fake that is. Come on, Dr. Cole. What's going on with this? This thing's been, this list has been around since serial killers have been around. Yeah, this is, this is a very old list. So just to give people the background, like, like I was saying earlier, go on Google and type in 14 traits of a serial killer and you'll get a million different results. Uh, one of the top results being Dr. Phil. <clears throat> I expect you to know better, dude. Um, Dr. Phil's website is the one that I forwarded to you. Yes. The fact that it's on his website again hire interns that do research phil um so right? he posted the oh it's disgusting to me like i mean you can't just ignore your your ethical duty because you become a a media shrink okay That's how okay I feel about uh, it. total aside though wasn't isn't he a forensic psychologist himself he's not a for he's not a forensic psychologist he's a clinical psychologist so i wouldn't necessarily expect him to know all the ins and outs but i do expect things that are posted on dr phil's website to be to have integrity gotcha and, gotcha well said and the fact Absolutely. yeah and the fact that it it really doesn't is okay a little aside but anyway you'll, you'll find this list everywhere and and the reason it's so famous is because um you know the show uh that they have what is it on hbo um called mind hunter right yes. about the yeah. easy fbi agents these profilers right so one of them was named john douglas and the other one was named uh robert wrestler now robert wrestler wrote some amazing stuff. I mean, the godfather of forensic psychology, the godfather of the profiling program, for sure. I adore Robert Russler. He, he's gone now, but he, he wrote up these, what he hypothesized were the 14 traits that sort of identified a serial killer. And this was just based on his own, uh, what he saw. So his mm. own experience. This was not based on any sort of research. It was just based on the people that wrestler himself spoke to, like they do in Mindhunter, right? Okay, okay. So so it's coming from a lot of different sources. Is that how he gathered it? Or is this just no, his it's own? No, just his. 
his own okay. observations. So not coming from different sources, only wrestler's observations gotcha. of his own personal interviews. So if you watch the show Mindhunter, it's it literally is exactly like that. You see how they go and they interview people like like Kemper and like Charles Manson mm-hmm. and they they write down their observations. That's what this list is from. Okay. So okay. so you think about that. These are his observations based on a very limited set of interviews. And from some sources, they say that the, this list is only from around 13 interviews. That's an awful small pool of interviews. That is an awful to, small pool. <laughs> to, to, yeah. to draw these conclusions from. It is, it is a pathetically small pool. But, but God love him. Wrestler wasn't trying to make this gospel. This was just something that he wrote. But, but people didn't know how to fix the problem of serial killers, so they seized on it as though it was gospel and thus it it blossomed so i wanted to talk yeah i wanted to talk about it because i'm i actually didn't know until i started doing research for the textbook that i wrote with an ex-fbi profiler i might add um the the book is called profiling violent crime it's going to be published by cognella in the fall um i did not realize that these 14 traits were still out there as though they were true until i started researching the book and i i couldn't believe it I was shocked. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm reading these right now, but I'm going to let you walk us through them. But some of them just seem a little outlandish. Well, and, and the, the reason I think that I was, they are outlandish. And the, the reason that I was so shocked is that, did you know that in criminology textbooks, they still teach these? Even though they've been proven to not necessarily, in my opinion, from what I know, from mm-hmm. what I was reading prepping for the show, a lot of these... Spoiler alert, have been debunked. A lot of them have, but here is, the, I think, kind of the crux of the problem. Is that uh, serial killer, like these traits of a serial killer, are they were circulating through the FBI and criminology circles, right? Mm-hmm. But the people that actually study serial killers are not the FBI. They catch serial killers, or, or try to. They, they profile serial killers. They don't study them. So... Oh. Even though people like me study them, the FBI and criminology never really updated their stance. We remained separate entities. So a lot of people in criminology and law enforcement don't realize that these were debunked by psychology quite a while ago. Question for you. Why are they not working together? Why are they not working together? Um, Because cops think that we are fluffy little love mongers that don't know how to catch criminals and 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 handhold them to the electric chair. I think I it, was that too harsh. That sounded bad. Well, um, you know, that's that, your opinion. That's, You're welcome to it. <laughs> it it's, no, it's my opinion because that's what I know. Yeah. I, I mean, it's I've lived that for over 15 years. Every time I come into contact with law enforcement, which by the way is a lot, they are usually like. Now you're going to sit alone in the room? What, are you going to cure him of his problems? And they don't realize what I actually do until they get to know me. And then once they get to know me, they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know you did that. It, we remain separate because they, they think we do very different things, but mm-hmm. it, it, it's wrong. And, and so writing this textbook with Pete was a way to try to remedy some to of that. We should that be gap. Working. Yes, we need to work together, people. It's silly. Gotcha, gotcha. So the first one, of course, if yes. you don't mind, I'll, I'll kick off no, the first it. one. Over yeah. 90% of serial killers are male. Uh, I, would, I would assume that that would be a correct estimation. You know, and you're not totally far off. So this idea that 90% of serial killers are male, the only people that Wrestler talked to were male at the time. So he assumed that they were. Um, but 
today, in today's numbers, a full 17% of them are female. Okay. So 80, so 81%, 81%. So it's a, it was actually almost on. This, this factoid is close, right? So 81% of serial killers are male, um, or no, 83%, and, 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 and uh, 17 are female. But what's interesting is that if you look back in history, mm-hmm. nearly 25, you know, 30-some years ago, a much higher percent were actually female. Uh, why has the numbers deviated so wildly then? This is a very interesting part of history, to, in my mind. So the female serial killer phenomena peaked during sort of Victorian times and early American times. Mm-hmm. And, and can you think of any reason at all why that might might be? Why it peaked during Victorian times? The yeah. female serial killer? Uh, yep. Jeez. I would, I would imagine because of social standing was, was part of it. A, a little um, bit. That is and, kind and of your slaves that were more readily available to kill. It, actually, the the most prominent method that women used to kill was poisoning. Yeah. And one one thing that happened around the Victorian era was that women we weren't really recognized as separate entities yet, but uh, there weren't always arranged marriages anymore. A woman was free to choose her own partner. And on top of that, women, for some of the first time in history, could be the beneficiaries of life insurance policies and property. Oh, that was... And before that date, we didn't. Before that date, it went to the brother or the husband or the son. It never went to the wife. But Mm -hmm. during that time period, it started to be... The property and the money started being diverted to the wife. So once the wife would get a monetary windfall men kept they start dying off men started dying off at an unbelievable rate and women bet. started getting more women started being widows over and over again it was amazing yeah it was it was one of the first time and and that's the interesting part about it is that female serial killers during this period like serial killers kill for all types of reasons mm-hmm. but the majority of women that killed during this period did so for profit financial motivation yes Almost, almost completely financial motivation, and most of it was poisoning. Now, arsenic was very common. Um, uh, cyanide was common, and and that's why you get all these sort of Victorian era sort of jokes mm-hmm. when they when they serve tea and go, "Oh, I hope it doesn't smell like bitter almonds," because <laughs> that's the smell arsenic. Of cyanide. Yeah, <laughs> cyanide. arsenic, cyanide. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's you know, it's, and women could run boarding houses, so women could legitimately own property and be the beneficiary of life insurance policies for one of the first times in history, and so female serial killing became a thing. Wow, it became the the new great thing sweeping the nation. It, it did. And then as as we got better at being able specifically to detect poison yeah. and and some of these women were jailed. Most of them were not jailed for life, though, by the way. The majority of them did get out but because they, they were the weaker sex, right? They couldn't take the imprisonment. They could kill like 10 guys, but they couldn't take imprisonment. Yeah. Um, we, we, we would let them out, but they uh, they stopped killing and, and we got the, the numbers. That well, we is that partially, too, why they killed without worry? Because they knew they were going to be treated much barely in the eyes of the law? Oh, gosh, yes. There there are tons of anecdotes about that in Victorian literature, about these women having, quote-unquote, fainting spells in the courtroom when, when you know, they, they were seen outside plowing the field with a donkey two days before, but then they get to the courtroom and they can't stand up. <laughs> yeah, there's tons of those stories. Oh, and, man. And the, jur- and the juries were almost cons- almost always all male. So you think so, that they want to put them away because they could be next. 
you'd think they'd want to put him away, but then they'd be like, yeah, look at her. I mean, it's just the truth. Right. <laughs> you know, like I like her. I know she killed her husband, but boy, yeah, right? I could change she's that not one. married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's not. She's free. You know, so, you know, so you have these all male juries that did think, oh, she's weak. She can't handle herself. Yeah. And, and yeah. the more that and that's another interesting fact, the more they started putting women on the jury, the more got convicted. Well, sure. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes so sense. It, Exactly, because because other women are like, "What are you kidding me? I know her." Yeah, or I know yeah, people I met her like before. Her. Well, number yeah. two, I'm hoping is real. I I want this to be real because I want my serial killers to be like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I do. Don't we all? No, actually, we. I I'm kidding. We don't want them to be like Hannibal Lecter. That would be a horrible. Well, I world. want them um, to be super intelligent because I'm a, if I'm gonna get knocked off, I want to get knocked off by someone that's got a super high intellect. That's actually a very good point. Right? You don't want it to be the idiot down the street? Yeah, um, I don't want the drooler to do me in. It's true. So, yeah, wrestler's second hypothesis of the 14 is they tend to be intelligent with I- IQs in the, quote, bright normal range. Um, but you have to remember that when Wrestler did his research, he talked to people like uh, Ed Kemper, who yeah. is known to have a, a very high IQ. And, and so this kind of skewed his limited research. Okay, And there, there's been a lot of research done. Since then, and, and now there have been, there's a global sample of over 2,500 confirmed serial killers. The mean result, they were all IQ tested. The mm-hmm. mean result of their IQ testing was a whopping 94.7. 100 is considered average. So actually, the serial killer, the average of serial killers is actually slightly below You're saying the they're short bus average. riders, most of them? They're, they are not short bus riders, but they're certainly not in the bright normal range. They are actually in the slightly below normal range. Wow. See, yeah, see, that's where pop culture screwed me over. Then, pop culture screwed everybody. I know, I know, I really. I made this a profession. Can you imagine how disappointed I was? I bet you were. I bet you were. I've seen Silence of the Lambs. I know. You you walk in there expecting Silence of the Lambs, and you're like, that was like Deliverance. What just happened? (laughs) Um, It's it's true though. You 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 have these expectations, but there are the the you know Ted Ted Bundy was known to be brilliant. Yes. Um, So so there are a few of them, but the the number of psych- errors, not psychopaths, serial killers in that super bright range are exactly the same as what's in the general populace. Which you would make sense. Them. It would yeah. make sense. It, it would, because why would that be a higher standard than what's already out there in the normal right. world? And when you look at them being slightly below normal, that makes sense to me too. Because I feel like sometimes when people kill, serial kill, they don't have the coping ability to handle mm-hmm. maybe some of the bad stuff that happened to them as a kid. Other people do. People that are brighter. So true, true. Number three, that talks about school. I, I should really let you read this, and and they do poorly in school. Now, is 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 that true? And they have hard times they, holding down jobs, and often work as unskilled laborers. Is that true, or again, are we going to go back to the normals, like normal society, and say it's all over the board? Well, it it's you know that's interesting. This hypothesis of of wrestlers actually does completely. Uh, carry weight. Uh, it is true that his hypothesis that many to most serial killers, one, do poorly in school, they have a hard time holding down jobs, and they often work in unskilled labor professions. Now, what you were saying, Joel, that, well, since they have kind of this low normal IQ, it's really not surprising that maybe they work in some mm-hmm. unskilled labor jobs. And I agree with you. I think that's totally true. But what's really interesting about this for me is that they do poorly in school, not because they're dumb and can't do well, they perform far below 
what you would expect. Okay. So somebody with an average IQ, you'd expect them to do average in yes. school. Yeah. And serial killers don't. They underperform, and they underperform in both school and work. Because I've met geniuses that did horrible in school. Like, oh, sure. absolutely horrible in school Einstein because they learn, they learn a different way than the rest of us do. And so once they were able to learn the way that they're, that they're supposed to be learning, they flourish and they become the geniuses that they are. But right. these people, you're saying, fall again into that normal category of the average individual, but right. below average individual, by and large. Yeah, like they, you, if they're exactly average, you would expect them to get a C average in school, right? Exactly. But they don't. They get Ds, they flunk, they don't finish. And what we found out over many years of research is that a very high proportion of serial killers have also disorders like ADHD, conduct disorder, learning disorders, um, dyslexia. There's a much higher proportion of learning disorders in ADHD in serial killers than there are in the general population. Interesting. that would mean that they underperform because you're right. They don't learn the same way. It's not because they're geniuses. It's because they can't learn the same way. And yeah. maybe they're not offered the help they needed. Yeah, it wasn't up until, what, the nineteen late 1980s, mid-1980s uh, that they nine, realized that it has to be done differently. Even 80s, 90s even, they weren't mm-hmm. you know, doing it. So it's, we still kind of fail at that. So that's just so people don't freak out. That does not mean if your kid has ADHD, they're going to be a serial killer. We're just noting no. That there's a higher proportion of it. But the chances yeah. are yeah. they might be. <laughs> no. <laughs> <He's a> no. <laughs> All right. So that was hypothesis number well, three. You know, so that, but thinking. Wrestler was on. Yeah. Wrestler was on in that hypothesis. That one's true. They tend to come from number four, of course. This is a, they tend to come from markedly un, unstable families. Sorry if I could read there for a second. Basically families that are unstable, like move a lot, financial issues, what tends to be the instability that causes the most serial killers? It's the parental sort of discord okay. that is hard. It's that seems to be the, the what they hear the most. And this of wrestler's hypotheses number four that they come from unstable families is also true. It it seems that the majority of serial killers note that there was a lot of discord in the home, even if it was just in their early years, that there's a lot of parental discord. So it sticks with them. Even even yes. if the parents are fighters and they're young or argued a lot, it would stick with them through life, no matter how young almost they were. Yeah, like, and a lot of them say, too, that, you know, like, by six or seven, the parents were divorced, and then they were with a single mom. So a lot of them, it happened very young. But they talk about sort of the amount of sort of interparental violence that was happening. And not talking necessarily physical violence, but just that emotional sort of battery. Mm-hmm. I was just about to ask, of, is it more emotional that causes it, or is it a combination of both? I personally, I, I don't know this to be true. I would vote for emotional, though, because physical, I think a lot of kids can get past physical, but the emotional stuff. Sure. That's, that sticks you, sticks with you. Yeah, because, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have elf on the shelf. We had welt from a belt. Come on. We all grew <laughs> up being beaten. <laughs> I know, right? It's, I like that. I'm going to use that. It's so true um, that a lot of these kids, you know, during when physical discipline was more common in the home but they're not even talking about discipline of the kids here they're talking about just the just rabid fighting constant fighting uh when the kid wouldn't know when it was going to happen like mom and dad could be happy at a picnic an hour before and then you know an hour later they're throwing pots you know that makes sense though because when you're a kid your mom and dad's relationship is a center of your world yes that is your that's your safe haven that's your anchor in life 
Right. Knowing that they're going to be together and around and be able to be there for you. When that boat is shaken or even capsized, it would shake everything moving forward in your life. It stands to reason. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you probably start to distrust how they're going to act toward you. I mean, a lot of times when parents have discord, they, they'll even if they don't mean to, they'll snap at the, the children. You know, so you're getting sort of the fallout of this, too. So it's you can't trust the, the main relationship that, like you said, is the center of your, your universe. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because even even my kids, I mean, my wife and I, we never fight, thankfully, because, you know, we're too old to do it. Number one. <laughs> And, and, and number two, no, we, we love each other and stuff like that. But we do not, if we do have to have a discussion, though, we never do it in front of the children. Yeah. It's, it's and that's always, how you're supposed to do it. We, you know what? They go to bed, then we'll sit down and have the discussion we need to have, and that, that'll be the end of it. I, I don't believe that children, and I'm not sitting here on a moral soapbox. Everyone's house is different, and whatever you do is fine. I'm just saying on my end of it, I because I, that's the way I was raised. Is it was done behind closed doors, and the parents did have to discuss something. Well, and I mean, you know, soapbox or no, I mean, I get what you're saying. Um, I'll be on my soapbox just because I have years and years and years well, of research to, I, I to back it up. Um, no, you are not supposed to discuss adult things in front of the kids. You are not supposed to disagree a lot in front of the kids unless it is a child-friendly issue. Yeah. And there are decades of research to back this up. So if you're one of these people that are like, yeah, we just work it out in front of the kids. Are you doing harm? Yeah, you yeah. are. Well, our, our thinking is because there's uh, children for such short time. They yeah. shouldn't have to deal with adult issues. They're going to no, have their they, whole life yes. to deal with those. Don't, don't make You're them do so it You're so right. You're so right. And, and even the splitting of parents, you know, like the kid goes to one parent and the parent says, no, you can't do it. Then they go to the next parent and the parent says, yes, you can. And then the parents have an argue, argument about that. The advice of every child expert I've ever known is that if parent A says, no, you can't do it, parent B is supposed to agree with parent A period, until you have a chance to talk about it later out of the room. And if you want to amend that decision together in front of the child, that's great. But don't argue about your decisions in front of the kid. If the kid says, Mom, can I do this? Well, what did your father say? He said no. Then my answer is no. You might be creating a serial killer. Well, it, just just don't do it in front of the kids. There's no reason. You know, work out your personal stuff yes. in front of someone else, you know, yes, in front of each exactly. other. So. Uh, now, number five, as children, they are often abandoned by their fathers and raised by domineering mothers. Eggeen syndrome is what I call it. Is it? Yeah, it's interesting, this one. This idea that they're, so they're abandoned by their dads and raised by a domineering mother. That's what wrestlers saw, right? But here is a problem, okay, with the statistics. So 25%, a full 25% of families, even a while ago, right, mm-hmm. were headed by a single mother. So with 25%, of families being headed by a single mom, it's kind of difficult to say that just serial killers were abandoned by their fathers and raised by single that mothers. That is true, because then you'd have 25% you know? of the population killing people right. with impunity. Right. It's like, so that part doesn't doesn't pan out as, as far as his research. But then there's this idea that they were raised by a domineering mother. And this is interesting to me because uh, Kemper, Gein, um, oh God, uh, uh, Heidnick, um, oh my goodness. Like there's so many serial killers that say that they were raised by a very domineering, cold uh, mother, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is their, mm-hmm. that's what they say. And so it, on the face of things, that would appear to be true, that that is a true part of the research. However, and this is my own personal caveat, 
we do not know any of these mothers. By and large, by the time we studied these serial killers, their yeah. mothers were long dead or they killed their own mothers. So They're just mommy blaming is what you're saying. Well, that, well, I don't know. I don't know how cold and domineering their mothers were because they're dead. We can't ask yeah. them. There are no, generally, there are very few secondhand accounts of these domineering mothers. And all the people Russler talked to were male. So yeah. until we have a high proportion of women serial killers saying the same thing, which, by the way, Eileen Vernos did not, mm-hmm. I don't know that we can say that that is a true fact or if the serial killers just perceived mom. So jury's kind of out on that one. The, I, to me, the jury's out because sometimes I've heard things because I've actually spoken to mm-hmm. quite a few of these people mm-hmm. where they complain about their mother being domineering. And I say, well, give me and I would say, give me an example. You know, tell me yeah. how she was domineering. And half the time. The response that I get is like, well, I wanted to go out with my friends for football, and I told her I was going to tryouts. She knew all week I was going to tryouts, and then she said, you got to take out the trash. You have to do it now, and she's yelling at me to do it, and I'm like, so she wanted you to do your your chores? Is that – that's what the deal is? Like, what? That would have taken you 30 seconds. It didn't mean you couldn't go out for football. What are you complaining about? But, like, this is their perception of the domineering mother, and in my opinion, I'm like, I think she just kind of wanted you to do a chore. Yeah, it almost seems like they're big into drama. Well, right, like they're and, dramatic. Yes. Well, know? like they're the ones causing the, the trouble with their mother. And if yes. you look really closely at some of these cases, and there's one that I, I can't bring up because it's in my state, but if, if you look really closely at some of the accounts of some of these serial killers and when they get into the details about their mother, you can see that it is them, that it is that they gotcha. are putting this gotcha. drama on the mother and the mother is just responding the best way she knows how. So yeah. in my opinion, this raised by a domineering mother, not proven at all. Because oh, to be honest, a hats off to a single mother. That, that's got to be hard doing both. Well, especially when you have a psychopath son that's out doing crazy well, stuff and won't take true. out the trash. And you got that. <laughs> Draws flies and too. bodies start piling up. I mean, come on. You know. Could you take out the trash and then get rid of the body? How many times do I have to ask you? Right, right. Is just get right? rid of the hobo. Come on. <laughs> Stop. Stop bringing body parts home. Right, right. Uh, number six, their families often have criminal, psychiatric, and alcoholic histories. Yeah, and this part is sad because it is not their fault, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, this one of wrestlers' hypotheses does appear to be true. Uh, the vast majority of serial killers endorse some sort of mental illness and substance abuse in their family. But then again, you have to look at the base rates of this, okay? Like, I don't think I know anyone, like literally anyone alive, that doesn't have some sort of mental illness or substance. I'm just about family. to say, I mean, you just right? described 70% of the population. At least, yeah. You, you know, that, that everybody, you look wherever you go, they're pushing psychiatric meds these days. Oh. So judging upon what you see on TV, the vast amount of America is either depressed or has anxiety. Right. And well, and then they want you to take multiple meds for it, too, when you probably shouldn't be. It's everybody has something. And so I don't know if it's that more of their family members were were ill or had substance abuse issues or if these issues just impacted these guys more, which is possible. It it might or or it, it or or it's just a line of bunk. Right. I mean, well, you know, like, oh, my God, no one hugged me enough. Now I'm depressed. Well, and, and honestly, like, and I can say this because one, he was never a patient of mine. He, he died before I started doing this and he isn't in California. I always thought that about Ted Bundy. Always. Yeah. I'm like, 
oh my God, cry me a river, dude. You were smart enough to become a lawyer out of spite. And then you're sitting here telling me that because you found out that your sister was actually your mother, that it ruined your entire life. Again, cry me a river. There are people that grow up in poverty. There are people that grow up with their own mental illnesses, with parents that are gravely ill, that abandon them and they aren't raised by anybody. By all accounts, he was raised in a loving environment Mm -hmm. and he was smart enough to become an attorney. Well, so the man was a genius in a lot of ways. He, right. He really was. When you read, when you actually get to the nuts and bolts, of, and barring the Zac Efron movie, which was a good movie, but strange, in my opinion. It was strange. I would love to talk about that. That's just kind of a different topic. Now, yeah. the next show you're on, we're going to break down the Zac Efron movie. Anybody that hasn't seen it should see it. Yeah, in the you meantime, should. but before the next time Dr. Cole comes on, go, yep. go check that out. It's got Zac Efron. What's it called? Extremely vile and horrible oh, and dangerous. dangerous. Extremely I can't dangerous and something. What the movie yeah. is called, but uh, he, it's quite the title, but it's still streaming on Netflix. Get a chance to watch it. Give it a watch. And I'd like to also know your opinion on it after you do watch the movie. I mean, you know, it's an interesting portrayal. I'll say that of Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm, it, for sure. It, it, he was evidently as char- if he was really that charismatic. I'm surprised he was ever convicted. To be honest, I'm still surprised to this day. We we have video of him, and I have no doubt. Now, now uh, number seven kind of ties in the domineering mother thing. They hate their fathers and mothers. Yes. Okay. So, the you know we know right that there is like early family dysfunction. Okay. Uh, the, a lot of them are raised. You know, they they consider their moms to be domineering or whatnot. Um, But but again, this is another one where a lot of serial killers do say that they hated their parents. Um, Well, and a good proportion of serial killers have actually killed one or both. Is there any chance that serial killers have a, a vast delay in their mind where they're almost teenagers still in their head? And see, every teenager hates their mom and dad. I actually think of uh, antisocials that way. Yeah, I think of antisocials that way. uh, People that are not psychopaths, but have antisocial personality disorder, which is sort of the everyday criminal. I I always think that. They always sound that way to me, that they're perpetually 15, 16, 17. Yeah, they, that, they come off yeah. as younger than their age yes. with all the same angst and anger and this and that attached like you would find in a 16-year-old. Exactly. And I, I would not be surprised at all if, you know, like I, most criminals, I think, feel that way. And so then when mom and dad try to do responsible things like disciplining in a measured way or just advice like you know what maybe running a bar for the rest of your life is not the best career option like they're trying to help them yeah. they take that very personally heck and they, i want to become it. a professional wrestler my parents stopped to thank god well i mean still you know like and i'm not saying that like being a professional wrestler or being a bar manager is a bad job both no, of them are actually no, pretty cool. great but i you know I would be crippled up by the age of 45 in that job. <laughs> well, and, and I can and I can see parents saying like, hey, bud, you know, you maybe know, maybe shoot it. a little higher. We'll yeah, see. Yeah. You know? Do that in your off time. Come on. Do it in your off time. Yeah, it's yeah. that sort of thing. But I think that, that regular – this is where I get caught up though because serial killers are not antisocial. They're psychopaths. And so I think that they hate their parents for a different reason. So psychopaths don't experience love really at all. That's, that's sad. Um, that, that, right. is, that is a sad state of affairs. It is very sad. And, and they so they don't experience that same attachment. So if you had these, I guess, flesh bags walking around your house telling you when to eat, when to go to bed, when to get up, what to do, how to dress, how to act, where to go to college. If you had no attachment to them, imagine how you would feel about them, even if they were normal. 
Well, that's true. That 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 hey, I get that. I I do, but now I look back I go, man, I just wish someone was around to tell me what to do. Oh my gosh, tell me about it. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, sick of Mom, life. I don't I don't want to live with anymore. us. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like, want to do this anymore. I'm good. I'm can good. You make I'm a good. sandwich and cut the crust off. Right, yeah. right. But now moving along cuz we only have half hour left. We still have a bunch to get through. Number eight, they're commonly abused as children, psychologically, physically, and sexually. Often the abuse is by a family member. You know what's interesting about this is that this one is actually not true, but it's close. It's interesting. It's close to the mark. So in a study, a huge study of serial killers of all types, the one type of abuse that they experienced more than the general population. So in in every other serial killer we know, they do not experience sexual, physical, or emotional abuse more than the general population. The only type of, abu- of abuse that they experienced more than the general population was neglect. Really? Yeah. So they would find themselves alone a lot by the parental units were gone. Yes. A lot. And, and and that could be left with a babysitter or just flat out neglect, like we're just used to neglect. seeing. Yeah, just flat out neglect. I mean, not not left, I guess, but yeah, I mean, left to their own devices a lot where, where the parents just seemed disengaged. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that makes sense because, well, you know, what do they say? Uh, something about the devil, devil's idle hands is a devil's playground. Yeah, you, and it, it just, you know, it kind of goes. Keep could, them engaged. Could, yeah, and could people have steered them? Who knows? Exactly, exactly. It makes you wonder why no adult, or or at least a, a, in the community, would intervene in these young people's lives before it got to this tipping point. Um, it kind of says a lot about society at the same time. Right, exactly. I totally agree. I mean, it's like if somebody, if somebody had stepped in and taken an interest, what might have happened? And, and there have been you know anecdotes from multiple guys who have unfortunately gone you know, beyond and have become serial killers. But a lot of them do. A lot of guys that I've spoken to, for instance, have anecdotes of people that did step into their lives for a while. And, and I don't mm-hmm. think we're there long enough for whatever reason. Is that almost more harmful when they do get that little taste of uh, a father figure, a mother figure, and then it leaves? Oh, God, I'm sad that you that actually made my heart hurt a little bit when you said that, because I, I think you're probably right. I, I I don't know that it actually helps because they they get this taste of something that they have wanted and then it gets taken away from them just like everything else. And I think you're right. I think it probably makes them angrier. Oh, man, that, that is sad. That, that, is, yeah. that is really, really sad. Number nine, many serial killers spend time in institutions as children and have records of early psychiatric problems. This is a different. Oh, this is on the Dr. Phil website. It's yes. different than it's different than wrestlers actual hypothesis. So let me read you what wrestler sure. actually wrote. Wrestler wrote many serial killers will have spent time incarcerated, okay. um, not institutionalized or, or childhood problems. But uh, I don't know. Whatever they wrote on Dr. Phil's website is wrong. So we're, we're not going to deal with it. Um, it. That's not wrestlers hypothesis. And yeah. it's wrong. So incarcerated um, instead of institutionalized. Yes. They'll go no, with that. I, they're yes. in- incarcerated as children and have records of early psychiatric problems and or that's criminal all wrong. issues. No, that's all wrong. So, okay. so it, no, the, the psychiatric as children was even talking about. Um, I have no, idea. Dr. Phil, where are you getting this crap? Um, so, know. no, they, they, they do have a higher proportion of, of ADHD potentially. It doesn't mean that yes. they're institutionalized for it. But um, they do. It's interesting because Rustler thought that these guys had been locked up for things, you know, like assault or, you know other things. So 67% of all murderers of all stripes. So 
serial killers included, right, have a prior arrest record, but less than 20% of them have anything violent on their record. Interesting. So violence, early on at least, is not really pronounced like you would think. It is not a predictor at all. No. So that's what's interesting specifically about serial killers is that a lot of them were locked up, but for petty crimes. Testing the criminal waters, maybe. Yes, exactly. And then getting smarter, Mm -hmm. getting locked Mm -hmm. up for something silly and stupid. Well, And then going, I'm not going to do that. Is it more harmful to send them to jail where they've learned from the pros then at that young, tender age? Or or, or is that the problem? Because I I remember I was just watching a mob movie called going when they when they're going to prison. It's called The Irishman on Netflix. They would, mm-hmm. they would call going to prison, going to school mm-hmm. to learn how to become a better criminal. Is yep. that the same thing for them, serial killers? Uh, yes, I, and I'll, I'll believe that forever till the day I die. I, I do not believe in I mean, as much damage as I've seen. I, I do not believe in locking up people in adult institutions when they still have a, a childlike brain. So that, that includes anybody from, I would say, 23 and younger, maybe even 25, depending on their emotional mm-hmm. development and younger. It is. It's a school for crime and, and the mo- the, whatever we can do to stop now, that. Question, how long has science known and even law enforcement known about brain development and when it you actually do become a normal adult? Uh, I do stress normal in quotations because that's <laughs> yeah. such a wide brush to use. But how long have they known about the the patterns of brain development? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think psychologists, uh, neuro, uh, neuropsychologists have known probably for decades that brain development doesn't solidify until that age. But it it's only been, you know, recently that that has come to the fore in the criminal uh, justice system. I was going to say, then, if they knew it wasn't doing any good, then why do it? Because I, I, I would just stress, again, because psychologists are often and neuropsychologists are not listened to when it comes to criminal justice. Mm-hmm. It's, we're, we're always going to fight on that account. I mean, that's always going to be a fight. The, you know, law enforcement wants to lock them up and throw away the key. Is some People of like per, me do not. Is a, some of, well, a lot of it is for political grandstanding, tough on crime. Correct. You're right. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of that. I mean, look at the Clinton administration. Three strikes oh, and you're out, and that was a horrible, dismal failure. Horrible failure, and, yeah. And so some of it, of course, is just society wanting to have a bad guy and then take right. revenge on the bad guy. And thankfully, it does seem like we are tr- starting to right that ship a little bit when it comes to youthful offenders. Right. Because, you know, someone offends in their, in their early 20s, they're saddled that the rest of their lives well, you've destroyed a lot of things. Well, and yet they're get, they're going through all of their adult development. Like when a, when a boy becomes a man in prison. Yes, exactly. It's so wrong. It, it, it is. <laughs> well, they become an angry, violent man. Is yes. what they become. They become, you know, someone very angry. And and one day, you generally speaking, unless they've done something completely heinous and murdered a bunch of people, that monster will get out of prison one day. Yes, exactly. And they'll have no idea about how to be a man on the outside. I mean, just just everyday type stuff. They don't think about it in an everyday sort of way. They're thinking yeah. about it as as predator or prey. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, nothing else is taken into consideration. And again, that that again, I keep saying it. And I, I mean, it's sad, sad, sad state of affairs that that's yeah. even happening. Uh, OK, moving along. Let's see. What were we? At? OK, number 10. They have high rates of suicide attempts. 
Yeah, that was a weird one, actually. I was really surprised. No, not oh. at all. I, I was really surprised to see that in, in wrestler, Wrestler's Hypothesis. I'm like, who did you talk to? Um, So basically, only four point, it's a very specific number, but only 4.4. So let's just round down to four. Four percent of serial killers commit suicide. Okay. But 30, almost 35 percent of mass murderers commit suicide. Uh, that's a difference. Mm-hmm. And in the prisons, uh, prison population as a whole, five to seven percent of prison inmates commit suicide annually. So serial killers have a lower percentage of suicide than even the average prisoner. Wow, that, that's kind of shocking. Why, why is that? I'm wondering. Uh, Explain this to me. <laughs> why I think it's shocking that they have a yeah, lower... Yeah, because yeah. once they kill somebody, how do they live with themselves? You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm getting at is after they've done these horrible, horrible things... And, and again, I'm not in the mind of a serial killer, so yeah. I'm thinking about this from a normal... I hope normal perspective of a radio host. Wait a minute. Normal and radio host don't generally go together. But anyhow, I digress. I'm thinking of this somebody that would go, oh my God, I've done this. How am I going to live with myself? It would not mean what I've done. Right? Right. And so you think that the same would be for a serial killer. You And I mean, again, you're th- you are. You're thinking of it in the brain of a normal person that you do these terrible things you get caught for it and now you're paying the price even for if it, you how... don't get caught you know you yeah. did it you see what i'm saying you you know what you've done and you would think that there's a moment of self-realization where you look in that mirror and you realize the monster you've let yourself become yeah i mean i i see what you're saying but that you know that as you know serial killers are not normal they do not have the same thoughts so i mean one of the things that epitomizes serial killers is the, their level of psychopathy being mm-hmm. a psychopath and as we well know and we've talked about before psychopaths don't feel empathy or sympathy very much so why would they feel bad they did what they wanted to do and they don't think of other humans as equal to them so they feel nothing. They feel pretty much less than nothing. So the idea of a serial killer ever committing suicide is almost comical to me because why would they ever? They don't feel guilt. Uh, do they almost have like a God type complex? After, oh, very much. Very much. And and a lot of the serial killers that that I have known about and, and, and read about personally, when they commit suicide, it's not because they feel bad at all. They commit suicide because now they're medically infirm they feel pain, and in the prisons, they can't get pain meds, and they kill themselves as kind of an fu to the prison staff. Wow. They don't do it out of guilt. Yeah, so it, it's nothing to do with the victims, as again, for a selfish oh, no. reason. I'm in pain. Yeah. I'm stuck here. I don't yes, want to deal with exactly. it anymore. Yep. And so this is my ticket out, and while I'm doing it, I'm going to make them look foolish for letting me kill myself. Yeah, I, I, I know I've told the story before, but I, I knew... Uh, I knew an inmate who once cut his arms from his elbows to his wrists and spun around in his cell, splashing blood all over the walls and screaming at custody to F you. You think I'm not going to do it? I'll show you. He became his own sprinkler. He did. He was a sprinkler. He was a human blood sprinkler. <laughs> and uh, they, they barely saved his life. And uh, he didn't feel bad for it for a second. And I'm wow. like, you could have, you could have actually died. Like they barely saved you. Yeah. Are you suicidal? Are you suicidal? And he said, No. I just bet them that I was going to do it, and they said I wasn't. Well, I would say that cr- that's crazy. But then again, that's the a individual we're talking about here. So <laughs> yeah, you know, 
that is it's its own form of crazy and i was like i, I think i was sitting across from the guy I was supposed to uh, evaluate whether he was still suicidal and he's like no i just wanted to prove that to them that i, I just, could do it and i was like just want to commend it. you just, for the effort dude y- yeah a for <laughs> like, effort but, but your form was horrible <laughs> man no he was so pleased when he came back from the hospital that they had to clean up the blood he was tickled by that that's, absolute tickled that's that's insane he giggled like a little kid. Wow. What is yeah. it, what do the fellow inmates say when they see things like this? Um, they don't say much because they're all afraid of that guy. Oh. Oh, <laughs> you know? so he's like, crazy dangerous. Got you. Like, got yeah, you. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. good plan. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'd shut up too. I I'd, I'd be looking at the floor if that guy's around. Right, exactly. Uh, I would have nothing yeah. to do with him. Okay, number eleven, from an early age, many are intensely interested in voyeurism, uh, fetishism. And sadomasochism, pornography. Yes, it's it is interesting. So, do we know for a fact? So, most of the people that wrestler talked to committed serial killing because of a of a sexual, a psychosexual reason. But we know now that not all serial killers do it for that reason. They don't all essentially they don't all get off on on killing. That's not well, why. According they do. to Ted Bundy, it was beer and pornography that made him kill people. It was beer, pornography, and being raised by his sister. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, he yeah. yeah, or not being raised by who he thought it was his sister. But um, no, it's it, it, so he ta- wrestler talked to a lot of guys that were very uh, sexually preoccupied. We know they're not all now that they kill for a whole variety of reasons, including revenge and and to make a statement, all that sort of thing. Um, but we do know that so pornography, we're not sure. We're not sure about sexual fantasy. What we do know though is that fantasy in general does play a very okay. large part. With zero cares. I want to say that the pornography, no. Because you don't need to have anything more than internet connection, and you can have that. Not everybody that goes on whatever adult website that is legal to go on, by the way, stress legal to go Mm -hmm. on, is out there killing people. So I I, I, I want to say that would probably. Yeah, and and we also know that SM is actually not linked. To higher rates of violence, it's not. So, so these you know serial killers in the past that were saying, well, I I viewed sort of S and M type pornography. That's what made me do it. I'm like, well, no, that's an excuse because S and M is is sort of typified by the consent of both parties. It's very explicit. There's a whole lot of the devil made me do it in this list. There is a lot of the devil made me do it. I know. Yeah, I'm there looking is. at it. I'm looking at nothing but excuses. It's it's it, kind of sad. Yeah, it, it's it's no one. How many of them just say, no, I'm screwed up individual and I deserve what I've got, what I'm getting. And that's just the way it is. Very few, extremely few ever. But there have been, there have been a few that are like, you know what? I was born this way. I've always been this way. I've always been fascinated with killing. I finally did it. Good for me. No idea why. Wow, man. And I'm glad that that, that they exist. Yeah. 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 No, what I'm saying is, is. The self-realization that you're a monster, yeah. you think that would tear them up. But again, because of who they are, it almost has the reverse on them. It is, because... they're, they're interested. That's the funny part. The guys that have realized that they be, became what they are, and there is no real explanation, a lot of them become very interested in psychology themselves. Sure, I would imagine. They want to find yeah. out what makes others like them tick. Right. They start to study others. They start to help investigators catch others, mm-hmm. which is actually eventually what, what Ted Bundy ended up doing. Yeah, the, yeah, he was hoping that was going to save his life in the end. He, he was, but he was also interested, and I know that, yeah. that he couldn't sort of help himself from trying to find others like him. Well, you know, misery loves company. Right. You, you know, <laughs> and 
and maybe want to start a club. Who knows? <laughs> but right? number 12, and this is one of the ones I've heard over and over again, and I'm not sure if it's right. More than 60% of the serial killers wet their beds beyond the age of 12. That's okay. a bladder issue. It's right. So, so, so the the three prongs of the so the next like twelve, thirteen, and fourteen are are prongs of what is called the McDonald Triad, or sometimes the Triad of Evil, or the Dark Triad. They call it all sorts of different things in psychology, but it's these three different traits. The first one being enuresis or bedwetting. So, it's this idea that uh, that more serial killers wet the bed than you know to a, a later age than other you know individuals. But what we know now through, I mean, concrete evidence, indisputable evidence, is that bedwetting is a genetic trait that you're exactly right, Joel, has to do with bladder development. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I've known kids, even as a summer camp, at 15, they were still urinating the bed. It's like, what's your problem? Stop peeing everywhere. Well, I feel terrible because it's it's passed down genetically. It yes. has nothing to do with the child. It very rarely has anything to do with abuse. It can be a sign of sexual abuse. Don't get me wrong. But it rarely has anything to, to do with it's that. That's an extreme situation. It's anatomical situation. It is. An, it is it's a... a it's bladder development. It has yeah. nothing to do with anything. And there's such a high proportion of kids that do have this genetic link in their family. They're not all serial killers. But it Most makes you w- wonder how this even makes the list. And obviously, the, they all said to this guy that was making the list, wrestler is his name. Yeah, mm-hmm. went to bed. 60% of them said, yeah, I'm a bedwetter then. Well, you According know what? According to the, his own research. Right. But you know what the difference with some of these guys was? Some of them, yes, did what they had, that genetic trait. They wet the bed into later in life. But often their parents had extremely punitive reactions to it. Like beat the living snot out of them. Yes. Yes. Gary Heidnick's father used to drag him out of bed, beat the hell out of him, and then make him uh, take his bed sheet and hang it out the window, which faced his school, to show his classmates that he wet the bed. Okay, that's extreme. That, yeah, that, it's extreme. That. I'd want to kill the dude too after a while. Uh, no <laughs> kidding. Talk about an abusive parent. So it, it's not really that Gary Heidnick went the bed that's important. It's how his dad reacted. How the to reaction it. was. It wasn't a positive reaction. It wasn't like a constructive reaction. Let's figure out what's going on here. It was a full on, I'm going to beat the holy hell out of you. And then I'm going to humiliate you on top of it. Well, you know what really makes me mad about that now that we know more about it? Odds are Gary Heidnick's father wet the bed too because it's usually passed down through the mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know what? You want to go back in time and deal with your own issues? That'd be great, but stop taking it out on your kid. No. <laughs> I hate that. He, well, exactly. I mean, then he should be more sympathetic to his yeah, son knowing think. the condition. Right, and he, and he wasn't. You know, he was, buy rubber sheets, all right? Anything, and don't make the kid feel bad. The kid already feels bad and, and already feels ashamed, and it's it's nothing that is the kid's fault. So so that trait of serial killers, and you know what's really terrible to me, is that this McDonald triad, a lot of even forensic psychologists, people that I have known personally, still ask these questions of murderers when they have no bearing in, in reality yeah. to, to predict anything. So stop, <laughs> fellow psychologists, I love you dearly, stop asking about the McDonald triad. It's all crap. Well, that that's good to know. So if I ever run a serial killer, I'd be like, so I'm not going to ask you number 12. Right. We don't <laughs> care if you wet the bed. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't care. And put down the knife. Thank you. Uh, may, many serial killers, number 13, many serial killers are fascinated with fire starting. 
They are. They are. So there is a link between arson and killing. There isn't. That's the greatest part. I love this one. So are lots of serial killers fascinated with fire? Yes, but guess what? All kids are. So all kids are... all kids are fascinated with fire. So I so I'll get, I'll, yeah, I'll run a statistic past you. So in this was, it's a little older now, but uh, this is in 2010. The United States Fire Department's responded to an estimated 44,900 fires that were purposely started by someone. And of those, roughly 45,000 fires that were purposely started, 77% of those were children. I believe it. I, I, I yep. do believe it because, you know, I remember being about 12 years old with the Book of Matches. Exactly. You know? and, and how many of those, and so this is roughly 34,573 fires were set by youths under the age of 18, and it's highly yeah. doubtful that even a quarter of 1% of them will go on to become a serial killer. So if you like to set fires when you were a kid, congratulations, you're human. Yeah, I, I bet you liked a lighter once or two, didn't you? Oh, are you Clarissa? kidding Come me? Come on. Heck I could, yeah. yeah. We used to go camping, though. So my dad used to let me stand dangerously close oh, to fire anyway. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I could even help build the fire and stuff. Oh, See, God, I got, good, I got my dirt fire. That's oh, good. Yeah. It got your little fire fascination under control. Well, then, and I, so. Yeah, and I like tried to touch things a couple of times that I shouldn't have. Well, you, you know what I mean? I wouldn't touch the stove repeatedly. Right. Last so I, week I, I did it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's just, I just can't get, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So like the, so the fire starting thing, again, holds no weight at all. A lot of this I'm seeing is hit or miss. Some right. of it's good. Some of it's like, what the hell are you even thinking? Oh God. And this, yeah, the fire setting one, I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? It, like it, it kinda, everybody. It kind of seems like that he was throwing mud at the wall to see what was going to stick. Well, it's again, it's like people took what what wrestler said, like his own personal observations, and they took them for gospel and they never were. And wrestler never said they were. This mm-hmm. is just that the, the serial killers that he talked to, he noticed that there were some commonalities between them. He never meant that they were supposed to apply this to is all what serial he killers. had observed in these yeah. group of people. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, number 14, they're involved with uh, sadistic activities and tormenting of small creatures. Yes. So of the McDonald triad, the bed, wedding and fire setting, those two prongs are bunk. Don't ask about them. They're silly. But this torturing animals one, this piece um, and, and wrestler actually said, I don't know where the small creatures, that's probably a Dr. Phil thing, but uh, torture animals was was what wrestler said. And that does hold some weight now, sort of. I mean, show me especially a little boy that has not burned the crap out of ants with a magnifying glass. Oh, I used to. I've never I, I seen, was, I've never I, seen yeah. that hasn't. Once right? I was showing how to burn ants with a magnifying glass, I was fixated. Oh, Man, of course. It was the greatest thing ever. You're like, I am God. Like, yeah, right? no, I mean, that's, yeah, that's every little boy, a lot of little girls. I mean, there's lots of little boys that pull, I, I used to remember them pulling the, uh, the, the legs off of spiders or, or pulling the wings off of a fly. Like, really, when you think about it? sadistic stuff <laughs> you know like like oh my god like you, these kids are but yeah. that is part of normal child development there's nothing weird about that so to ask about that sort of a thing it has to be very extreme for it to be any sort of prognosticator yeah of well, i do know a couple seriously. guys that used to pull the wings off flies and i'm telling you if we're starting to look for bodies their basement might not be the worst place to start I know, like, well, here, I'll give you an extreme example that I can use because it's not an identifiable patient. I I had a patient one time who I was asking, and I didn't know at the time that I wasn't supposed to ask about the McDonald triad. A lot of us still were, okay? So I asked him, 
about the fire setting and the bedwetting and the animal torture. And he kind of denied the fire setting, denied the bedwetting. Then we get to animal torture and he's like, well, I mean, my brother and I used to play with animals. And actually, he's like, now that I think about it, like the fire thing. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, that game where like you put mice in a, in a barrel and then you set them on fire. It's not a game. I know. <laughs> That's asked, not a game. He asked, me, he asked me as though it was normal. He's like, you know, that game where you put mice in? And I'm like, oh yeah i don't uh, i didn't play that no, game no no that that that's not normal no and but he thought that it was kind of normal and that was something he very much liked to do and does that qualify as a more severe form of this that's insanity is what that is nobody plays that game no, of course nobody plays that game but and he was a violent person i mean not surprisingly that's why he was talking to me he's a violent person but he didn't recognize that that wasn't normal which was obviously part of the problem. But so this part of the triad is true, but only when it applies to much like kids that uh, tie firecrackers to the tails of cats or put firecrackers in dogs mouths or yeah. I mean, any any of that, it is abnormal. Get your kid treatment. Yes, okay? I, I, I would agree. I would agree. But you know, full disclosure, I didn't know a co- have a couple friends that put firecrackers in frogs. I, frogs is an iffy one, that, man. That, that I don't was, know. That was a little strange. And, Weird. I mean, I, I would yeah. I say they needed treatment, though? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a... a you know, tough, it's, it's, it's a slippery a slope, that one. I like frogs, but do I like them enough to make a referral? Yeah, I don't know. We eat their, we eat their legs, so I mean... How, how important are they really? Yeah. How about how about we just sort of limit this to like things that could definitely be childhood pets? Exactly. Exactly. Dogs, cats, maybe yeah. a fish. You know, yeah. Well, you maybe. Know. I don't know. Maybe. Fish. Do, do fish have feelings? <laughs> I sure hope they do. It's a judgment call. All I'm saying is that if you know somebody that admits to torturing animals that, like I said, could be a childhood pet, worry a little maybe. Uh, all right, Dr. Cole, at the end of the show, how do people get a hold of you and also your website you got out there? I know it's the criminalcode.com. I have to get on it. I'm going to put some new posts up. It's been a long time. I apologize. But you can always find me at the criminalcode.com. You can get a hold of me through that website too. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I have a textbook with Pete Klismet, FBI profiler. It'll be called Profiling Violent Crime. It'll be coming out this fall. Very cool, guys. Very, very cool. This has been Dr. Clarissa Cole. This is After Hours AM. Till next time, guys, take care of each other, love each other. And watch out for those serial killers. After Hours AM is a production of Midwest Radio Productions. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And please visit www.americas-most-haunted.com. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.